You're listening to the Desperation Podcast with Pastor David Martin in the second week of the DSM series, Icon. Who the sun sets free, they are in fact indeed free, right? They are free. And how many of y'all are thankful for the freedom of God tonight? That was not a drop the mic moment because I was killing it. Maybe I should just get into my sermon because here's what what was prayed. Up in this balcony, you don't know this, but students who love Jesus and love DSM and love you guys, about 15, 16 of us get up there every Wednesday night before the service and we begin to pray and we begin to intercede. Now here's the thing. One thing that really stood out to me was, number one, so many students were praying my sermon tonight. So I know that what I'm about to share with you is from actually God. The second thing, though, one young lady, she said... I pray for those who are walking in this room who are weary, and by the end of this night, they would walk out as warriors. And so I'm here to bring the truth of God to you guys tonight. So if you weren't with us this past week, let me just kind of reestablish what the series is. Abe, every single week on the Insta stories, jacks me up, and I swear you did it again. You called it Eacon. It's Icon, all right? So Icon means this. Going to throw up the definition. It means to be like. A mirror-like representation. And that seriously really digs down into really the heart of this whole series. Because God originally designed us to be made in his image. Image bearers of God. The problem is, is that so many of us and so many people that you know and love, they don't bear the image of God. They don't look like life and love and, and truth and eternity because of what has taken place in our world. Our world is broken. Everybody say broken. All right. You see, there's this thing inside of us. This thing inside of us that I find myself still struggling with. To take my own path. And... Our true identities have been distorted along the way. That's kind of what's taken place. And so we're no longer mirror reflections of God. Apart from Jesus, what happens is, is that over time when we begin to take our own path, our own path becomes selfish. Because we're trying to get to where we are trying to get to go. And unfortunately, the laws of nature, if you take your own path, means that you're going to have to walk over some people to get to where you need to go. And all of a sudden, there is a string of people along all of our paths and people that have walked upon us and people that we've walked on. And now there's pain, there's bigotry, there's racism, there's hatred, there's death, there's manipulation. There is brokenness in our world. Even if you're an atheist, and we're so glad that you're here, and I really do mean that. I want every, every atheist in Colorado Springs to come to DSM. I really do. Because it is my feeling that even regardless of where you're at on the spiritual spectrum, I think we all can agree that this world is broken, right? We see the pain. And I think some of my friends who are atheists, when I talk to them, part of the challenge is, is two things. The first thing is they go, man, I just see Christians that I think they're all a bunch of, okay. Well, I'm like, yep, busted. We really are. The second thing, though, is 
people who don't believe in God, they go, if there's a God, then how in the world can these things go unaddressed that I see broken, jacked up, messed up, suicide, depression, fear, cutting, pain, loss. Do you see what I'm saying? Where is God? You see, we have to go back to the original design. The truth is, is that all have mankind, as good as we may be in our, in our intentions, we have all wandered off the path that God originally had as his sons and daughters, as icons of God. See, the thing is, is that when we step away, even though the path may seem right, the scripture says that that path actually leads to death. There's only one path that leads to life, and it's Jesus. And so Jesus, seeing our brokenness, agreeing with those who go, where is God? He goes, I will show you. I will come and be the exact likeness icon, the perfect icon, the mirror-like representation of who God really is and not what this world has distorted God out to be. You see, God is not aloof. He's not distant. He's not irritable. He's not angry. He loves and Jesus came. If you look at the words and the life of Jesus, you will find that he hated many of the things that we hate. And the thing that he came to overcome and correct is the world's brokenness. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only icon, Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So that anybody who could believe in him, would believe in him, would not die but have everlasting life. He wants to restore. And he's been on this mission since the beginning of time to restore these lost sons and daughters back to their iconic status. So that they could walk in right fellowship with God and bring wholeness. And that God's kingdom may come down to earth and his will be done through us. The kingdom of God is here tonight because the kingdom of God is within you. And we are the source in which we can bring life and wholeness and healing. We pray all the time, God, save the nations. He's like, I really wish I could because you're not doing it. And I've chosen you to be my primary messenger and method to, to make that happen. God, restore the brokenness in my school. Cool. Get to work tomorrow. Stop gossiping. Stop hating. Stop putting labels on people. Stop judging them. Okay, that's not my notes. But tonight's going to be a ridiculous night, guys. Hang tight. Here we go. Jesus came in the perfect reflection of God, not only to restore our original identities, but also to show us who and what we were originally intended to be and to become. So when Jesus came into our broken world, he reflected and embodied the exact nature and likeness of God himself. This is how Hebrews explains it. Hebrews chapter 1 says, it should be on the screen, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory. He's an icon and the exact likeness of God's being. And he holds everything together by his powerful word. After Jesus provided cleansing from sins, he sat down at the right hand of the highest majesty. So not only did Jesus die and bleed and be put into a tomb, that would have been one thing. But three days, what we're going to be celebrating here on April 1st, and it's not April Fool's. This is a true act of God where Jesus rose from the dead. Now, why is that significant? Because in that moment, death was defeated, the power of sin that kills us is defeated, and the power of judgment and the power of Satan was all defeated in that moment. Why? So that we could become icons like Jesus. 
We're getting there. We're getting there. I feel like y'all are starting to warm up to the truth of God a little bit. This is good. Jesus came into this world to rescue and redeem it. To allow us to shed off the false identities that, and the labels that have been put upon us through peer pressure. Even through our friends or what our culture wants to say about us. We go, no, man, I can lose this stuff because I know who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm an icon of God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. And I am no longer defined by what I was or what someone else says I am, but by Jesus and who he says I am. Cool? You see, this matters. And the reason why is because when your true identity is discovered, guys, you will be able to discover your true purpose. This is, it's, it's even better than what you think. And the reason why is because you have been given permission by God to be uniquely you. You don't have to copy someone else's path. You don't have to try to be a carbon copy of the person sitting next to you as beautiful and as cool as they may be. You have the freedom when you know who you are in God to be uniquely you. Why? Because God has a unique purpose just for you. He didn't call anybody else to be hyper with a white ball cap to stand on this stage tonight. I'm being me. You see, look to your neighbor really quick and just say, hey, I don't have to be you. Some of you are like, thank Jesus. This is what God says about you. Y'all ready to hear what God says about you? Check this out. In Psalm 139, it says this. You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know a little bit about me. You know some facts. You know what school I go to and what my favorite meal is at Chick-fil-A. And, and, and you also know how much time I spend on my phone. But you really don't know much more than that. No, is that what it says? It says you know all about me. Aren't we trying to live in a life in a world in which one, we could find one person who understands us? Someone that could just love us for who we are. Unconditional kind of love. Don't you realize, students, that the love we're looking for is God? He's the only one that can love you like that. And he says, I love you so much, I know all about you. I know every statistic about you. I know every part. I know what you feel. And not only is he aware of what you feel, he feels what you feel. He's that intimately close to us. He's not distant and aloof. He's God. He loves you. But let me go on. You are the one God who put me together inside my mother's body. And I praise you because of of the wonderful way that you created me. Immediately right here, I can already sense in my spirit that some of you are going, I don't feel like that. I don't like what I see in the mirror. I wish that I had this. I wish I looked more like this. I wish I had different curves in different places, right? All of these things, these body image issues and the things that we look at when we see in the mirror, we're like, I don't, I'm not impressed with what you made. You see, the enemy has already begun to come in and say, that's not who you are. You're, you're broken. You're jacked up. And all we can see are the flaws. But God's like, no, I've created you uniquely to be you. You don't have to apologize for how you look or the way you talk or whether or not you've got hair or not. <laughs> Glory to God. You see, everything God does is marvelous. Of this I have no doubt. Nothing about me is hidden from God. I was you, you and me, we were secretly woven together out of human sight. 
but with your own eyes, with the very eyes of God, students, the very eyes that saw Saturn formed are the very eyes that saw you formed. What? What? With his own eyes, he watched you develop? How many of y'all have ever planted something before? All right, a bunch of city kids, right? Well, children, there's this thing that happens when you take a seed and you stick it in the ground. And if you water it and you can look at it, you, you can walk by and you go, I'm not seeing anything yet, but I'm going to come back tomorrow. And then over a period of time, I remember when I was seven years old, I planted flowers for the first time, seeds in, my, in, our, in the front of our house. And I remember one morning I woke up and I was so excited to hopefully see that this day would be the day that I began to see these flowers start popping up out of the ground. Guys, I'm not even joking. It was like six in the morning. The sun was just rising. I was standing out there, six years old in my underwear. And I was standing there. And sure enough, I couldn't believe that overnight these little green things were coming up out of the ground. And I was so excited. And I don't know why that had such an impact on me, but I'm reminded of it right now. When you were being formed, when no one else could see, you were just a seed. God was like, oh, this is going to be good because I know what this is going to grow into. I know what you're going to become. I have the plans. I know what this is. You see, even before you were born, God had written about you in his book. Everything about you. You mean God has a diary devoted strictly to you? According to scripture, he does. He's got a whole book all about you. And he knows what you're about. He knows what he's wired you for. He knows the purpose that he's got for you. But boy, man, if the brokenness of this world can squeeze in somehow and convince you that God's plans for you are not good, but they're bad... And that you have to find your identity in some other alternate path because God's not going to keep, he's not going to keep his end of the deal. Sure, he loves the world, but he doesn't love you specifically. And all the rest of these things that begin to creep into the minds and hearts of this generation, all of a sudden, that book doesn't matter anymore. We don't care about the book because we don't like the author. And we feel like he's let us down. But I'm here to tell you, God has been misrepresented in your life. Because that's not the God that I'm talking about tonight, students. You see, God really loves you. And God really has a plan for your life. I say that, that even when you feel like you've messed up God's plan, he still loves you. And we learned this last week when this kid, he's a punk. He takes all of his dad's money. He goes and blows it on women and booze and weed and whatever else he's doing. And he goes broke and he winds up finding himself in a pit. And he goes back and he's like, there's no way that I could ever possibly be a son of God or a son in this, my father's house. Maybe I could come back as a servant. But we understood that a long way away his father saw him and his father ran to meet him. And I'm here to tell you that God is running to meet you tonight, students. He is running to meet you. But he wasn't running to him to ground him or preach him a sermon. He put his finest robe on him and said, let the party begin. My son that was once dead is now alive again. So I think that's a pretty easy concept for most of us to get, right? Like we know that, okay, chances are, God went through a lot, allowed his son to die, rise again. Okay, may, okay, yeah, if I've messed up my own plans and my own identity, that's cool. There's a path back, and that matters. That's important. But let me throw a harder question your way. What do you do as we talk about identity, an icon, right? What do you do when your identity has been shaped? 
not by the things that you've done, good or bad, but by things that have happened to you. Like, think about the scars on your heart that aren't self-inflicted, that other people put there. What about the victims of abuse? What about students that grow up in homes where there's no love? I talk to students all the time, and I hear so many stories about how circumstances and things have happened that they've had no control over has shaped and distorted their identities because of stuff that's happened to them that has shaped the way that they see themselves. Some of you know my story, and it was the first night that I shared it as I stood on this stage in late December of 2016. And this is the short version of my story, but I was raised in a home where my parents fought all the time. There was physical abuse happening with my older brother that was taking place. My mom almost died of double breast cancer. As a little boy, fear shaped my identity in a big way. I've been abused by people outside of my family. If you want to know more about what that looks like, I'm happy to talk to you about that one-on-one. My parents got divorced when I was a teenager, which was another great fear of mine. And the byproducts of this began to shape how I saw myself and my identity. My, what I saw in the mirror, my sexual identity, my ability to be successful in the world, all of these things, and my identity began to shift and distort, and I was the teen, I was the teen who struggled with suicidal thoughts. So I get brokenness, man. And that's why I'm so bent on seeing broken people walk through these doors, because I was that kid. And if you're in here tonight and that's you, man, I've walked in your shoes. I struggled with anxiety, depression. I've suffered with obsessive compulsive disorder for the majority of my life. And I lived these things, and this was my thought for the majority of my life. Well, this is just who I am. I wouldn't ask for it. I wasn't looking for it. But this is who I am. I'm messed up, and I'm jacked up, and there's nothing I can do about it. It's just who I am. You see, part of my struggle, though, students, I felt when I was growing up that there was not a safe place to not be okay. I was raised in church. And so when you hear me talking about church people and wearing masks and being phonies, let me tell you something. I've lived that life, and I know what it's about, and it produces nothing but bitter, cynical Pharisee people. We have to, and I have no interest in this youth group ever being that as long as I'm here. I did not have a place where it was okay to not be okay. And so as I wrote this sermon, let me just read to you word for word what I put on my little script here. Can I just say that as long as I'm a youth pastor here at DSM, I want you to know if you come to this youth group, students, It is okay to not be okay. All right? It's okay to not be okay. The moment you walk in here, I want you to know a couple of things if you're new, checking DSM out. I want you to know that we're not here to judge you. DSM, are you all here to judge people or are you with me? So let me back up. 
We're not here to judge people, DSM. Agree, disagree? Let me take a poll. I got some work to do. Thank you, Jesus. Job security. We're here to love you and tell you some really good news. You see, the good news is this. You see, Jesus came as the perfect icon, the mirror image of God, not to push those away who aren't okay, but to embrace them, to heal them, so that they also could become icons of God. Okay. This side gets it. I'm going to preach over to this side a little bit. I'm not getting a lot of love over here. What's wrong with you all? Jesus once said this. Healthy people don't need a doctor. But sick people do. I didn't. Now listen to what Jesus says, y'all. You're like, Jesus said this? Oh, yeah. We just don't preach on this verse a lot. Because all of a sudden things are about to get messy in our lives. You see, Jesus says, I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to invite filthy, rotten, outcast, dirty, gnarly sinners. Those are the ones I came for. And those are the ones who will be willing to follow me. See, this is Jesus. Take it up with him. So when the doors in the back of this tent open up, students, I want you to understand something. I want to see the sick, the lost, and the biggest sinners in Colorado Springs come through these doors. Why? Because God wants them here. DSM is not going to be a holy huddle. That's not what we're here to do. DSM is for the saints. Yes, I love the saints in this room. We do heavy lifting up there. I can't do it without the saints. But we're also here for the cynics. Those who are checking God out and going, I don't know if I buy him. But we're also here for the sick. And sick shows symptoms. Sick is gross. People who are sick have wounds. People who are sick vomit. People who are sick haven't taken a shower in three days. People who are sick are sick. And we got to say, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. You know why I want everybody in Colorado Springs that's a student in high school to be in this building? Not so that my ego can be fed, but because this is God's heart. God wants everybody in here, students. Why? Because scripture says God wants what? God wants 1 Timothy 2. Please put it up there. Let's stay on the script. God wants everyone to be saved and to know the whole truth, which is, what is the whole truth? The whole truth is this. There is only one God. Christ Jesus is the only one who could bring us to God. Jesus was truly human and he gave himself to rescue only the good kids who make good grades. Is that what it said? He came to rescue all of us because all of us needed to be rescued. Because he wants to make us icons. This is not a seeker-sensitive youth group. This is a sick-sensitive youth group. That's what we need to be. Not so that we can judge folks, but so that even the darkest heart can come in here and become an icon and a reflection of God. You cool with that? All right, you better start inviting some friends in. I know an icon. I know a savior. And his name is Jesus. He bled and he died. And he took our diseases, and he took our diseases and our sicknesses and our sins so that we could stand and sing songs like we just sang tonight. That's Jesus. Can I pray real quick? Father, I can't believe you did this for us. 
I can't believe that your children, your rebellious children, would slap you in the face over and over and over and over again. And yet, you still love us. And you still want to heal us. Oh God, in this moment, would you allow me to be a reflection of Jesus so these students can see and know that this is legit and true? In Jesus' name, have your way. Amen. One time, everybody say one time. You see, Jesus went to Jerusalem for another Jewish festival, and in the city near the Sheep Gate was a pool with five porches. Everybody say five porches. What gate was it near? Uh huh, y'all missed that detail. And its name in Hebrew was Bethesda. There's a couple of ways to spell it, so relax if you see it misspelled on the screen. But many sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people were lying close to a pool that was located around these five places here in this place called Bethesda. Now, here's the picture of what I'm talking about. I don't know if you could tell, but there's some steps. There's these long steps, and there's a little bit of a, a landing, and then there's more steps. And down where that green is is where this pool actually is in Jerusalem. So you're looking at the actual place I'm reading to you about, okay? Now, let me paint the picture here. It's not like all these six, sick people were showing up, working on their tans laying by this pool. They were waiting for something. Let me explain to you what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the water to be stirred because an angel of the Lord would sometimes come down and stir it. Is this already a weird story? What? The first, now listen to this. The first person to get into the pool when the water began to stir, it, just whenever it decided to stir by the angel, the first person in down the steps, if they were sick, they were able to get in there on their own strength and power, they got healed. So they're no longer known as the blind person or the deaf person or the paralyzed person or the leper or whoever. They would go down one way in the water. They would come out completely with a brand new identity. No longer the sick person begging. They now became a new creation. These people came to this place called Bethesda. And here's what I want you to know. Bethesda actually means house of mercy. And my prayer when I discovered that, my prayer is that God would make DSM a Bethesda, a house of mercy for every student in Colorado Springs. I really do. I pray that God would make DSM a bright, shining Bethesda to those who are lost, who are laying on the steps waiting to be healed. May they come in here and find healing. And may you find healing tonight. Now, this is an interesting passage I think sometimes when we read the word of God, we just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what? An angel comes down and stirs the water. Yeah. I like had to research this because I'm like, what does that really mean? Now, it's not like I haven't read it before. I'm not that big of a pagan. I'm just simply saying I've got to do some research. How did this happen? There's a lot of theories. Some believe that there was an earthquake 700 years before this moment in which this this thing happened, and then all of a sudden, there's no more prophets or people speaking on the behalf of God for 400 years, okay, up to Jesus' arrival. And so some people think that this pool was just a remnant and a reminder that God still heals, even though he's not talking to anybody. Deep, Google it, you'll have your mind blown. Here we go. 
every now and then, a brief moment would happen, and this water would be stirred by this angel. And in this moment, this water would become infused with the supernatural power to heal someone. But not everybody. The first one in. That's it. Now, as I was studying this, I couldn't help but to think about my beautiful little town, Manitou Springs. That's where I live. I live in Manitou. And you're like, oh, now we understand. We got it now, Dave. We know who you are. You see, Manitou was, check this out though, Manitou was actually established as a place of healing. Did you know that? The devil didn't show up one day and go, this is a great place to do some witchcraft, like everybody thinks. No, it actually was a place for healing. Check it out, man. As I researched this even further, I didn't realize how cool my town was. But the Native Americans, what they would do is they would come here, the Plains tribes, the Ute, the Arapaho, the Cheyenne, they would come to this area where the water was. Now, the water is special in Manitou Springs. It absolutely is. And what they would do is they would come around the water. They would soak and receive its healing properties because it had all these minerals to fix ailments and stuff. And while they would war against one another all year long, when they came to Manitou, it was a place of peace and a place of healing. That's what Manitou was originally designed by God to be. And let me just tell you something, it's going to happen again. That's a whole other sermon. And it is happening already, by the way. No worry of conflict and they would get this water. And they believed that it brought healing between them and the tribes. And so today, these exact same fountains, if you're brave enough to go down to creepy Manitou Springs where your youth pastor lives, you will see that these streams or these springs are constantly flowing 24-7. I have my favorite one. It's like Perrier. It's like carbonated water. It's right in front of the Loop Mexican restaurant. I go there all the time. I'm like, dude, I live this. I can't believe I live here. This is amazing. But each fountain has healing properties in it. Okay, and so if you're iron deficient, for example, up on Ruxton at the very top next to the incline, there's the iron spring. Abe drank that, and someone wanted him to drink it, and it tastes like blood, but it restores the iron levels in your body. Was it, was it me that pranked you, or was it someone else? It was me. All right, sorry about that. Not really at all. There's another one down the street on Ruxton, which is right around the block from my house, and this one is called the Happy Spring. And the reason why is because it has a high lithium content in it. And so lithium, if you didn't know, pharmaceuticals use this lithium to be able to put it into antidepressant drugs. All right? So people, you will see people parked by these springs all within Manitou, and they will be filling up these five-gallon jugs. And so sometimes I'll stop and I'll talk to them, and I'm like, so, is this your favorite one? And they're like, oh, yeah, it absolutely is. And they're filling up these five-gallon, they don't even live here. They come from Denver and stuff. And I've heard stories from people, and they're like, man, this water healed me. So, in the Bible, many, many times you will see that water equals life. And so, here's these sick people with no hope that maybe at some point an angel will stir the water so they could climb down some stairs. And so it's not a far-fetched idea to think that maybe by some chance this water can heal me. But day after day, day after day, many people aren't healed except one if they can get in. So Jesus comes to this place, though. He comes through the sheep gate, and he goes down. And beside the pool, there was a man who had been sick for 38 years. Everybody say 38 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Maybe your identity has been shaped by your illnesses or your pain, or the abuse that you've suffered, depression, whatever those things are. And while we would never choose this identity for ourselves, our temptation is just to simply embrace our jacked up identities and just go, dude, this is just who I am. I would love to be healed, 
but this is just who I am. And I get that. And a lot of us, what happens is, is because even if we have an identity that we don't like, even if it's a bad identity, an identity, whether it's good or bad, is going to be the lens that you look through to be able to make sense and cope with this jacked up world. So if you go, this is what I am, this is what the world is. Do you see what I'm saying? But Jesus didn't come to help us cope with hopelessness. Jesus is not a coping mechanism. Jesus came to bring hope to our hopelessness. And there's a total difference between the two. And I bring this up it is because students in here who love Jesus and follow Jesus, I bring this up. Now I'm about to hit you. Can I hit you a little bit? If the shoe fits, go on and put it on. Jesus today is still walking to sick and broken people, okay? He hasn't retired. He's not playing golf. He loves broken people. So to the followers of Jesus in here, those who would claim to be the icons of God, how many broken, lost, and hurting people are you encountering throughout your week? Now, I'm not talking about just walking by and going, man, that person screwed up. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a paralyzed person who's been sick for 38 years. How often have your feet led you to that person and actually be able to respond to the brokenness instead of just say, that's too bad, or worse, judge it. It's a big difference. And I ask that because as icons of Jesus, I'm here to tell you, if your feet are not finding paths to the broken, you may not be a follower of Jesus like you think. You may simply just be a fan. Oh, it's so quiet in here. Hallelujah, Holy Spirit, do your thing. Here's the thing. During the time of Jesus, he was going around. He had crowds following him from the outside. It looked like, look at all of his followers. But we find out in Scripture that they were only there for what Jesus could give them. So as long as he was feeding them and fixing them, they were cool. But then he started busting out with stuff like, hey, take up your cross and follow me. And they're like, oh, wait a minute, no thanks. I appreciate the offer, never mind. You see, Jesus had a ton of fans. He had very few followers. Are you a follower or are you a fan? Because just because you admire him, you may be like that crowd. As long as you're giving me goosebumps and you're fixing my issues and you're feeding me and I'm not doing anything else, guys... Jesus walks to people who are broken, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're naturally going to wind up there yourself. And if you're not, reconsider. You see, James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he's got faith but he doesn't have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, be warm, be filled, I wish you the best, without giving them anything needed for the body? What good is that? Faith by itself, man, if it doesn't have good works, Christ followers, your faith is pretty dead. Scripture. Hashtag truth. You see, Jesus just didn't come to give things. He came to fix things. He didn't start like a nonprofit just to keep people fed. He didn't set up a poor people medical clinic and go, I've done my job. No, he came to do so much more than that. 
You see, Jesus says this, the Lord's spirit has come to me because he has chosen me to tell the good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to announce freedom for the prisoners and give sight to the blind, to free everyone who suffers and to say, this is the year the Lord has chosen. And DSM, this is the year that the Lord has chosen for us. I'm telling you, to move out of the comfy chairs, to get the heck out of this tent, and begin to pro truly proclaim freedom to those who need to be released in Colorado Springs. We can't moan and groan about the issues anymore. God has empowered us by his Holy Spirit to respond to these issues. We have got to change our understanding as icons and sons and daughters of God. So when Jesus saw the man and realized he had been crippled for a long time, he asked him this question. He said, do you want to be healed? Jesus never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. Of course he wants to be healed. For those in here tonight whose identities are wrapped in pain and brokenness, not because it was your fault, but because of things and circumstances that have happened to you, I believe Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And he's asking you the same question. I'm here. Do you want to be healed? It's really a simple yes or no question. You see, the man said, though, oh, man, sir, he doesn't even know it's Jesus. Just a guy walking up asking him, do you want to get healed? He goes, sir, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, I try to get in, but someone always gets there first. This guy is saying no matter how hard he has tried, he has discovered something. He has no ability to fix himself. It doesn't matter. He can't get to the water. He can't even put himself in a place to get fixed. His life will be assigned to him. The identity that will be assigned to him is paralyzed guy. He didn't ask for that. That's what the identity was. Why? Because we live in a broken world. But Jesus is standing there. Do you want to be healed? Do you want a new identity? Jesus didn't say, well, boy, get yourself up. Get some grit. Get in water. Angel stirs. Jump in. Cannonball. <laughs> you know what Jesus did? He bypassed the entire process. And some people don't like that. We want Jesus in a box, and we want him predictable, and we want him to be a formula. But Jesus just bypasses the whole thing. He's like, ah, let's forget the water. Forget the steps. Lay right there, and I'm just going to tell you something right now, my friend. I'm here, and I'm here to tell you, pick up your mat and just start walking. And right there, the man was healed. He picked up his mat and started walking around, and on this day, he did it on the Sabbath, which stirred a lot of stuff up for Jesus. Read the rest of the chapter this week in your study, and you will find that religious people don't like it when Jesus colors outside the lines. Uh-uh. This man, uh-uh. No, no, no. This is not how people get healed. I don't know who you think you are, Jesus, but you're doing it on the wrong day at the wrong time in the wrong way. And Jesus is like, he's walking. <laughs> We can't celebrate those things in people's lives when we have this kind of mindset. Jesus is going to do the way it, Jesus wants to do it. So don't judge the method. The fruit will determine if the outcome was of God or not. This man's walking. Let's celebrate it, right? So I bring this up because you'll notice that Jesus didn't say, brother, oh, man, I'm 
so sorry this happened to you. What happened? Did you fall off a building when you were a kid? Or why are you paralyzed? That's not the question right now. The question is, do, do you just want to get healed, yes or no? And it's not that Jesus is being insensitive to your situation either. I bring this up because it's not that Jesus doesn't care what's happened to you that has distorted your identity. It's just we can talk about the things that have paralyzed you in the past. The question tonight, students, is do you want to be healed? That's the only question we're talking about. Because regardless of what's happened in the past, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's, there's healing here now. But God, why didn't you, why weren't you? No, 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 no. Do you want to get healed? You see, God cares about what's happened to you because in Jeremiah it says, but if your enemies try to rob or destroy you, I will rob and destroy them. Hold on, who's talking here? God. See? Okay. And they will be led as captives to foreign lands. He's like, all right. No one wants, to, wants you as a friend or cares what happens to you? Cool. You know what? I will heal your injuries myself and you're going to get well. He's like, people have messed you over. People put scars on your heart. People have abused you. People have manipulated you. People and circumstances have put you in a situation where you can't see who I am in you. And you don't see an icon. You see a failure. God's like, I'll heal you if you want. So Jesus is asking you this question tonight. Do you want to be healed? That's it. That's the whole sermon right there. Do you want to be healed? You go, David, how can I be healed? As soon as I leave out of this place, I'm going right back into the nightmare that I left. That's why I come here. I just need a place of peace for an hour and a half. God wants to do so much more than just heal your external situation. Tonight, he is stirring the waters of your heart. And he wants to heal you from the inside out. Do you want to be healed? And I'm not asking that question rhetorically. You go, how, David? At the very beginning of our story tonight, children, I think you may have skipped over some details. We thought that this passage was actually just setting up a scene for us. But let's revisit this passage, part of the passage one more time. Because actually this is the most important part. In the city near the what gate? There was a pool with five porches. Why do we care? Oh, because it paints a picture so we can understand. We're no, 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 no. The sheep gate is symbolic. Happened at the same time. It's true. But five means mercy. And there was these coverings over these sick people so they wouldn't get sunburned as they laid out there and waited for healing. So there's already provision there for them. And its name in Hebrew was Bethesda. Many sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people were lying close to the pool. Check this out as we close up here. You see, the only way, now follow me on this. This came to me last night around 9 o'clock, and I freaked out because I'd never seen this either. So it's not because I'm so smart and holy. It's just I was like, what? Thank you, God. The only way that these sick people got to the, with the possibility of getting to the, the pool when it stirred was they would have to go through the sheep gate, okay? It's the only way to get there. Now, either they were able to scrounge themselves or scrape by and get themselves there themselves, or someone else had to get them through the sheep gate to get a place to where possibly they could be healed. One way or the other. Okay. Why were they there? To get healed. 
Why is this important? John 10. Jesus says that the way for you to get healed is to go through the gate. And you go, what do you mean, Dave? All eyes on me. Check it out. Here we go. You ready? You know what Jesus said one time? I tell you for certain. I am that gate. For the sheep. You mean to tell me that Jesus is the sheep gate? You got to go through Jesus to get to the healing? Hang tight. Jesus says, in case you missed it the first time, I am the gate. All who come through me will be saved. Hang on. Gets better. Through me, they will come and they will go and find pasture. He goes on to say, I see what brokenness produces. I see sick people. I see paralyzed people. I see blind people. I see hurting people. I see depressed people. I see anxious people. I see sad people. I see hopeless people. I see it all. And I'm here to respond to it. He says, because there is a thief that has come, and he has stolen from you. He has tried to kill you, and he's tried to destroy you and how God sees you and how you see God and how you see yourself. But Jesus says, I'm a gate. And if you want to find healing, you got to come through me. Jesus says, in addition to that, in the same passage, I came so everyone would have life and have it fully. And Jesus says that I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd will give up his life for the sheep. And you go, oh, that's so beautiful. You don't even get it. Back in this time, a good shepherd, basically he would build a pen at night for his sheep, and he would put them all in there, okay? And what the shepherd would do, now get this picture, he would only make one very narrow entrance or exit. Why? Because there were predators, and there were these vicious animals, and there were also robbers and bandits that would try to get into the sheep pen to either kill it, eat them, or destroy them. So the good shepherd, a true good shepherd, true statement, what he would do is he would lie down, provided my shirt doesn't ride up, but he would lie down in the entrance like this at night. And he's like, the only way you can get to the sheep is you got to get through me first. And he was willing, the good shepherd was willing to die before any predator could come and touch those sheep. You don't, you mean to tell me you don't, you don't think Jesus loves you? But when did he do that? When did he lay down his life? Isaiah predicted it many years before. Jesus suffered and endured great pain for us. Now, we thought his suffering was punishment from God, but he was wounded and he was crushed because of our sins. By taking our punishment, he has made us completely healed. All of us were like sheep, though, who had wandered off. We each had gone our own way. You see, that's why this world is broken. It's because we're trying to forge our own path. But we don't know where the heck we're going. What we're looking for is an identity. We want to know our place in this world. What is my purpose? But you won't be able to find it. You're a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wants to reestablish your iconic status as a son and as a daughter. 
He wants to heal you. And he allowed our punishments, our diseases, our afflictions, our sin to be put upon him. He took it. He's the one who laid down by the water with no hope of getting in so that we could jump in. You see, when we enter through the gate, Jesus is the gate and he says, come in. I want to bring you healing. I will give, I'll send you out to the pastures that are green. All of us are like sheep, though. We've wandered off. We've all gone our own way. But the Lord gave him the punishment that we deserved. He was painfully abused. But he didn't even complain. The good shepherd students in this moment became the sheep, the sacrificial lamb. Not only did he guide and protect, but he says, I will even lay down my life as a sheep. So all of us were like sheep, right? But check it out. But the Lord gave him the punishment we deserved. He was silent like a lamb about to be led to the butcher, as quiet as a sheep having its wool cut off. You see, the Lord will reward him with honor and power for sacrificing his life so that we could find healing. Others thought he was a sinner, but he suffered for our sins and asked God to forgive us. He's like, see all those sick people? This is what sin produces. Sin produces brokenness, but Father, would you please forgive them? When he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive these people because they don't even know what they're doing. He even loved those who were torturing him to death. That's a good shepherd, guys. Just as the angel stirred the water so that one person could be healed, Jesus is stirring the waters of your heart saying, I've come to bring you healing tonight. Jesus says, have faith in me, and you will have life-giving water flowing from deep inside of you, just as the scriptures say. And so here's what we're going to do. Some of you can so identify with this, and you're like, man, I need healing tonight, Dave. Then I want to invite you to stand up. Just stand to your feet. I am not saying Jesus will fix every problem in your life and you're going to win the lottery and you will get a new car and your teeth will be straight when you wake up in the morning and you will never get pimples again. That's not this message. We're talking about your identity. It's much more vital and important than that. Some of you have been abused. Some of you are currently in abusive situations. Some of you were born with ailments and situations that have shaped your identity and it wasn't your fault. And I'm here to acknowledge that and I get that because I know what that feels like too. But the reason why I can preach this sermon from such an honest place is because what Jesus has done for me in healing the inside. Your circumstances may not change overnight and I pray that they do. But the question is so much more important than God, can you fix my surroundings? Lord, will you heal me in my heart? Tonight can be the night that you can take Jesus up on this offer and allow him to begin to reshape your identity from broken to overcomer, from weary to warrior. If this is you, I'm asking you the question on the behalf of Jesus, do you want to be healed? If you do, I'm just going to invite you to come up front so I can pray with you right now. That's it. Do you want to be healed? The reason why people couldn't get into the water is because only one person could get up first, and that was it. But notice there's more than one person that is coming up here for healing. You know why? 
because it's no longer just for one lucky person anymore. Who's the strongest out of the sick people? The one who'd been sick for 38 years didn't even have to get into the water because he was standing right next to the living water, Jesus. Anybody else want healing tonight? Anybody else want to trade out your identity of brokenness for wholeness? Anybody? If this is you, come on up. If you're an adult and hearing this in here, come on up. If you're in the sound booth and one of y'all have been convicted by this and you want to get out, get out. Come on, this is a real service. The buttons don't need to worry about themselves. This is about you. Can I just say something before I pray for you guys? The longer I'm here, the more I love you guys so much. I'm so honored to be your youth pastor. Thank you for being here and thank you for coming to our youth group. So just stretch out your hands. You notice that the man didn't have an opportunity to answer. Jesus says, you want to get healed? He's like, good, get up and pick up your mat and walk. He didn't even give him a chance to say yes or no. But by the virtue of the fact that you've come up here, up front here, Jesus loves you and he wants to begin to heal your heart. And so pray with me out loud to the healer. Say, Jesus, I want to be healed. I want to exchange my brokenness. I want to exchange my pain. I want to exchange all the things that have been lost for your healing, your restoration, your life, a new identity. Jesus, because I put my faith in you, I'm no longer defined by my circumstances. I'm no longer defined by the labels people have put upon me. Tonight, I will put my faith in the fact that you're my identity. You're my savior. I am a child of God. Not because I deserve it, but because you have made a way through you for me to receive it. I exchange my past for your future. And I trust in you, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd. And that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I trust that you will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I believe that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is who you are, students. This is what he does. Receive healing in the name of Jesus, man. He loves you. He loves you. And we love you. So band, can we do a little worship? As those who are healed, loved by God, the rest of you guys, students, man, come on. Let's just flood the stage. And let's act like we can actually be have permission to have a good time in here tonight. Let's worship the healer, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Come on.